SS. Our title for the OSL students is I'll Pour Out My Spirit. That's what our title is. Out of Joel chapter 2. Will you stand with me? We're going to kind of skip read through the entire chapter of Joel there. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 3, 12 through 14, and 28 through 32. Joel 2. This is the Message Bible translation about the locust army. Blow the ram's horn, trumpet in Zion. Trumpet the alarm on my holy mountain. Shake up the country. God's judgment is on its way. And the day's almost here, a black day, a doomsday. Clouds with no silver lining, like dawn light moving, moving over the mountain, a huge army is coming. There's never been anything like it and never will be again. Wildfires burn everything before this army, and fire licks up everything in its wake. Before it arrives, the country is like the Garden of Eden. When it leaves, it's Death Valley. Nothing escapes unscathed. Skipping down to verse 12, change your life. But there's also this, it's not too late. God's personal message, come back to me and really mean it. Come fasting and weeping, sorry for your sins. Change your life, not just your clothes. Come back to God, your God. And here's why. God is kind and merciful. He takes a deep breath, puts up with a lot, this most Patient God, extravagant in love, always ready to cancel catastrophe. I like that. Always ready to cancel catastrophe. Who knows? Maybe he'll do it now. Maybe he'll turn around and show pity. Maybe when all's said and done, there'll be blessings full and robust for your God. Then skipping on down to verse 28, the sun and the moon, sun turning black and the moon blood red. And that's just the beginning. After that, I'll pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your old men will dream. Your young men will see visions. I'll even pour out my spirit on the servants, men and women both. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red before the, day, before the judgment day of God. The day tremendous and awesome. Whoever calls help God gets help. On Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be a great rescue, just as God said. Included in the survivors are those that God calls. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that as we look into it this morning, the Spirit of God would come to open our hearts to receive of you uh, your truth, your passion and purpose in us. Lord, that we would have an understanding of the times that we live in and that we would be filled with your spirit to receive of you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The whole thing. I love these new gadgets with all their connections and opportunities to, to learn. Praise God. This is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. Penny, the word Pentecost simply means 50. 50. That's, that's, that's what that word means. You know, it's connected with us as a Pentecostal church, uh, as believers in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and speaking in other tongues. Is, we've come to be called a Pentecostal church. But the word Pentecost itself only means 50. And the reason it was attached to that is that you'll remember the Old Testament Jews 
observed what they called the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, and the reason they called it the Feast of Pentecost was because it came 50 days after the Passover. And so they said, well, the 50-day the feast you know, was basically what they were saying, the Feast of Pentecost, which a, a harvest, the, the first fruits of the harvest. Uh, Jews of that day celebra- were required to celebrate three feasts in Israel, the first being Passover, which we celebrate as Easter in the spring, the second being the Feast of Pentecost, which came 50 days later, was the first fruits or the first budding of fruit on the tree. And they celebrated that. And then finally, the uh, Feast of Tabernacles at the end of the harvest season. It was uh, another of their feasts. And all for each of those Passovers, each of those festivals, uh, a Jewish male was required to be in attendance in Jerusalem, if at all possible. So that's where the, the word Pentecost comes from and its attachment because the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost or on the day of this Feast of Pentecost 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So uh, we celebrate today the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and you read more of that in Acts chapter 2 and so on. Uh, Joel is one of the earliest prophets of Scripture. Uh, One of the earliest writing prophets that, that wrote a prophecy that we have in the Bible. We have many other prophets uh, that, that you might look back and uh, think of Adam. Some of his words are prophetic. Uh, Moses, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob all made prophetic utterances. Joseph, uh, Moses, uh, Joshua, uh, the leaders of Israel from time to time spoke prophetically which means they spoke as the Lord gave them something to say. They spoke out as God gave a word for them to share. And Joel was one of the first of the prophets that wrote these things down as a prophecy that that they were for future generations. You know, uh, if you just speak a prophecy, well, then that lasts as long as we remember it. But, you know, for you and especially for me, I don't remember so long as I used to, you know, that, that my memory is not as good as it used to be. So Joel, because these prophecies that he was receiving were for a day that was way beyond his own time and his own hearers that would hear him utter these prophecies. So Joel began to write them down and became one of the very first of the writing prophets, if you will. His uh, time period, we to the best of our understanding, is about 800 years before Christ. Uh, He doesn't date himself. He doesn't give a date. He doesn't uh, align himself with any particular king or kingdom that we can tie it down and say, well, that would be this year and that year and so forth. Uh, From some of his observations, Bible scholars are able to say, well, he had to be living. He could see this event happen, so he lived after that. But he didn't see this event happen, so he must have died before that began. And so we can put him in this category of about 800 years before Christ. So he was one of the earliest writing prophets of Israel 2,800 years ago that Joel was writing these things that we read this morning. Uh, Trying to think about the land of Israel that Joel lived in what that nation was like and what it was going through at the time that he lived. Uh, 
you know the history of Israel. You know that God brought them, Abraham, out of Ur, Chaldees, and up and then back down into the promised land and said, I'm going to give you all the land that your feet tread upon, but, before, but first you're going to go into Egypt, and then after 400 years I'll bring you out and give you the promised land. Well, all of those things had transpired, and now Israel had been living in the promised land. They had taken the territory that God had promised them. They had been blessed and prospered, and they had built their cities, and they had built their temple, and they'd had their worship and so forth. But over the centuries, over the hundreds of years that had transpired in the meantime, they got very lazy and lax in their worship before God. They became very careless in the way they worshiped God. And they also began to pick up the habits and the customs of the people that lived around them. They began to intermarry and worship the gods of foreign countries and so forth. And so they had fallen away from their history and their faith. You know, uh, that's the history of mankind. We have a great revival and people get really enthused and excited about what God is doing. But after that generation dies out, the next generation gets weaker and weaker and weaker. We need a revival now desperately because we have been the generation that has forgotten what God does and the great and mighty things that God can and will continue to do for us. And so that was the condition that Israel was in when Joel began to look at it. And in fact, uh, Israel had had uh, many wars with local kings that would come down and try to conquer Israel, and God had defended Israel. They had had some losses, but mostly uh, won their battles. But in Joel's time a plague of locusts came down and swept into the land of Israel, a plague so bad that it decimated the entire land. In fact, we heard him say there in uh, that scripture that uh, it looked like the Garden of Eden in front, but when it was passed over, it looked like Death Valley behind. It was the Message Bible translation of that uh, concept that... Uh, this devastation caused by this plague had just wiped out the land. And so at the time of Joel's writing, Israel is in total disarray and despair. They have no food. Their animals are dying. Their people themselves are dying. The locusts had actually eaten the bark off of the trees so that even the trees that might bud out and produce fruit next year were now dying. And so Israel was in a terrible, uh, disastrous state of affairs. But you know, one of the things about a plague of locusts is that it isn't man-made. It isn't something you can turn and look at uh, an enemy and say, well, the king of Egypt did this, or the king of Syria did that to us. Uh, when you see a plague of locusts coming and attacking, we call that a natural disaster. Or more likely, we call it an act of God. And in fact, that's exactly what was going on in Israel was that this plague of locusts that were attacking them was an act of God. And Joel seemed to be the one that caught that picture and understood that, that nobody else was getting that. Everybody else was, like Tommy was talking about this morning, just angry because everything was going wrong. Nothing was doing right. And, and, and they're so mad that nothing was lining up the way it was supposed to. And Israel was angry and upset. And Joel said, wait a minute, wait a minute. What has come upon us is the hand of God himself. You know, a natural disaster is God's hand. Listen, there's a, I could do a series on that, of what's going on in our country. The natural disasters that we have seen are the hand of God. And uh, 
so it was with this situation. Joel saw that, and he began to write, and he began to prophesy, saying, people, you have turned your back on God. You've turned away from God. You've spit in God's face. You've done the very thing he told you not to do. And now you're angry at him because he took away the blessing that he gave you in the first place? He gave you this blessed promised land, and you didn't appreciate it, so now he's taking it back. Oh, there's a parallel for the United States of America in that that won't quit, you know, that we have been a blessed nation, and God has multiplied his blessings upon us, and we've spit in his face. And then when those blessings begin to be taken away from us, we feel all hindered and hurt and angry that somebody is stealing from us. Joel's answer to them was simply turn back to God. Turn your heart around, seek God, call out to him, and look to him, and watch God bring a day of deliverance. So Joel's prophecy, uh, the first uh, chapter of Joel, he gives great detail of this uh, plague of locusts that are just consuming and devouring the whole land. But in the second chapter, he says, sound a warning. The day of the Lord is here. Sound a warning. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on the holy mountain. This is the English Standard Version translation. Sound, the holy, sound an alarm on the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. The day of the Lord is coming, and it's near, a day of darkness and gloom, of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness are spread on the mountains, a great and powerful people. And if you close your eyes and think about it and see a swarm of locusts, they claim when locusts swarm and come in, they can actually blot out the sun, that they, they turn the sky dark, so many insects flying in the air, coming uh, read in chapter 1 there when you've got some time this afternoon. It said they were in the bedchambers. They were everywhere. They, the locusts were all over the place, consuming and devouring everything in their path. Uh, and he sees this. He's saying, these, basically what he's saying, that the locusts have already happened in Israel at that time. But he's saying, if you think the locusts were bad, you wait until you see what's coming later. And he's describing an army that is coming like locusts. He's, he's claiming they're... they're they're just going to look like locusts. Uh, blackness is spread on the mountains. Great, powerful people. Their like has never been seen before, nor again after them, through the years of all generations. And so he's having this vision and giving this prophecy, declaring that bad times are coming. You know, I feel guilty sometimes for preaching doom and gloom. You know, that, well, pastor, you know, you're just talking about end times and Bible things and all that and darkness and gloom. The, the the glory behind the gloom is that there is a day that follows that that is brighter than ever before. There is victory in that. And the other side of that is that God takes his children and carefully walks them through all of these dark events. And uh, we come out of that unscathed and enter into the day of God's fulfillment and God's promise to us. Joel goes on to say, fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them. And behind them, a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. And you can just see this swath of locusts moving through the land, lush, beautiful greenery, and behind them, desert and waste. And uh, a true picture of the events and uh, of the course of nature as a swarm of locusts takes place. He goes on down, skipping down then to chapter 2. Here's dark doom and gloom. Here, bad things are on the horizon but at the same time, and in the same prophecy, he says, but if you'll return to the Lord, there'll be a change of heart. Listen to what he says. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. 
and rend your hearts and not your garments. He said, tear, tear, be, be broken inside, not broken on the outside. Be, rend your heart and not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. He relents over disaster. You know, uh, there are oftentimes in our lives in these days that we see disaster in our families. We see disaster in our bodies. We see disaster in our cities and say, well, you know, I've done all these things. I've invited all this disaster to come upon me. I have uh, not followed the rules. I knew a better way, but I didn't take it. And so now I guess all this disaster is going to come on me, and I'm just going to have to live with this. Let me give you that verse again out of uh, Joel 2, uh, 13. It says, he relents over disaster. God loves to forgive disaster or to pull back on disaster. If you feel like you're threatened with disaster, claim that scripture. Say, God, you promised that even though disaster may be looming on the horizon, if I would turn and come to you, you would relent, you would repent, you would pull back that disaster from me. And so Joel has a two-tone message, if you will. One that, yes, there's doom and gloom on the horizon, and that's still true in the United States of America today or in the world at large. But there's also this, that if you'll turn your heart to Jesus Christ, if you'll seek him, there is repentance even from God to repent of the disaster that he is focused to bring. Who knows, he says, who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Who knows, but God will change things. You know, we may look at our country and say, well, it's too late, it's too late. We, we've gone too far, it's gone too bad, we've got too much trouble, we've done too many wrong things, we've uh, thrown God out of our schools and our government and, and we don't want to talk about him and we don't want any moral standards and on and on and on. And you say, it's too late. Joel says, who knows, seek God for repentance. Seek God to turn things around. You don't know that God won't turn things around even yet. So keep seeking God, Joel says, even to those people of that day and age in which he was uh, talking and preaching. Where am I? Verse 14. Um, uh, it's not God's desire to punish us. It's not God's desire to punish us. It's God's heart is to bless us and to provide for us. But we have to follow him and listen to him and not to the foreign gods, not to the voices of this land and the things that are going on in our country. What a picture for our nation today. The present world uh, is in disarray because they've thrown God out of the picture. Hallelujah for the missionary video we watched that in almost every country of the world there is a, a remnant of believers that is growing and God is bringing them into re right relationship with us. And, and of course, uh, our co own country is uh, in disrepair and, and a messed up state. And many would say, well, it's, it's too late, it's too late, it's, it's over the hill, it's done. No, if we'll repent and turn back to God, there's no telling what God could do with our nation. And, and, and you and I live in a city that is renowned for its uh, sinfulness, you know, and you can say, well, it's too late for the city of Las Vegas. It's, it's made its bed. It's going to sleep in it. It's going to get what it's going to get. Well, not if you and I repent and seek God and preach repentance to those around about us. And so that was Joel's message 
even to the children of Israel, the people of Israel in a time very much, very similar to the time that is like ours. So uh, it's not God's desire for him to punish us. God's goal and purpose is for us to repent and to turn back to him. You know, the, the timing of this message is amazing to me because uh, I know that the media this week has been all focused on the scandals in Washington. And uh, if you've ever turned the news on, that's all you've heard, yakety, 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 yak, you know, of all the things that are going on there. And so it has pretty much glossed over what's happening in Israel this week. Do you know what's happening in Israel? Can I tell you what's happening in Israel? A swarm of locusts like they have never seen before. Right now, May 19th, 2010, a swarm of locusts bearing down on the nation of Israel. The United Nations is there in full force trying to figure out what to do to stop this. It's of critical importance to not only Israel but to most of Europe because Israel, because of the blessing of God and God's provision on the nation of Israel, Israel is now the great agricultural producer of almost all of Europe, supplying oranges and roses and every kind of produce to the, to the nations of Europe, come out of Israel itself. And with a locust swarm coming down to destroy their crops and wipe out everything they have, uh, the disaster would be something similar to what Joel was writing about here 2,800 years ago. What an amazing time to preach a message like this out of that text. I didn't even realize it until, in fact, I thought, where was the, there was a locust plague somewhere. A couple of weeks ago, I heard about it coming, so I looked it up on the Internet. Yeah, it's bearing down on Israel. A actually, on Friday, they were expecting this to come. You know, and again, 2013, did I say, okay. Thank you for, thank you for interpreting for me. I, <laughs> did you catch me at that verse? <laughs> okay, sorry about that. May 19th, 2013. That's where I'm at. Thank you. <laughs> and it's happening now. Once again, though, a plague of locusts is not sent by Syria. It wasn't sent by Ahmadinejad. It wasn't sent from Egypt. You know, uh, a plague of locusts comes from one source in one place. Oh, I know in the natural, locusts lay their eggs in the sand and they hibernate for 17 years. And then after the right kind of rain and the right kind of climate and so forth, they hatch out. Well, suddenly, right now in May of 2013, that hatch has taken place and Israel is being hit with the largest swarm of locusts they've seen in more than 50 years. Well, 50 years ago, they didn't have an agricultural economy. Today, they absolutely do. And they will be devastated by this unless they figure out some way to stop it. Uh, as I say, all the scandal in Washington has overridden all of this, so we're not paying much attention. But it's going on right now. A natural disaster. An act of God? Yes, an act of God. We pray for Israel. We pray for the people of Israel. We pray for the city of Jerusalem. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But reality is that most Israelis, most Israelis are not religious people. You know, we use that term Jewish as though that meant they went to synagogue. That does not. The vast majority of Jews do not go to synagogue. It's something in their ancient history 
something in their family's background and past, but they themselves are totally secular, totally dependent upon, you know, the stock market or their job or whatever and world politics and, and, and all of these things. And so they are not, except for a small minority, a very religious people at all. And God's trying to get their attention. God's trying to speak to them. And let's pray that, that the swarm of locusts would cause them to go, wait a minute. Here we were worried about Ahmadinejad, and here we are worried about Morrissey down in Egypt and uh, King Abdullah over in Jordan and, uh, and Bashar Assad up in Syria and whoever else is over in Lebanon there. We thought those were our enemies. And suddenly we've got a new man, enemy bearing down on, on us, one that we don't even know how to fight. And that enemy came straight from the hand of God himself, a plague of locusts, a natural disaster. Pray that God would turn the hearts of the nation of Israel to say, who do you appeal to for peace in that situation? The locust God? No. The living God. The living God. Well, fascinating to think about that happening right here, right now, these days. But God has always been a God of forgiveness and purpose to Bring us back to him, not to shove us away from him. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing, not wishing that any should perish. God is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So even in Second Peter, we have that promise of God that he's, this is not God's plan to destroy the world. He wants us to return to him. But if we ignore him, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then that verse that you, I hope, know so well, uh, and my computer was giving me fits this morning, so I couldn't get this to come up in white. You should know this. So will you say that with me, John 3, 16, 17? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, basic to our understanding and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is not that he's trying to kill us but that he's trying to turn us around. And by the same token, he's trying to turn the whole world around, turn this nation around, and turn the nation of Israel around. God is a God of repentance. Thank God. <laughs> Praise his name. A God of forgiveness. Uh, well, let me... Joel, keeping down to verse 28, as he reads through this prophecy... Uh, he looks ahead and he says, you know, God is so loving and kind that he wants to pour out his spirit in all of its fullness. He wants to give us his spirit, the fullness of it. He'll pour out his spirit on all flesh. The Lord will pour out his spirit. It'll come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants in those days will I pour out my spirit. You see, in the day of Joel, a prophet, prophets were few and far between. You know, a handful in an entire population across the world at that time. Uh, not many people were prophets, and most of those that became prophets were killed 
you know, because of their prophecies, because some king didn't like what they said, thought they were being uh, nasty and mean to them. It's interesting today that uh, those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that this nation needs to turn to repentance are not liked very well either, are they? You know, they aren't saying, oh, man, here's somebody that's got an answer for us. Here's somebody that knows how to get this thing straightened out. No, they're saying, you bunch of crazies. As uh, Greg Reed said, they're going to lock you all up in a loony bin somewhere. So uh, the world never sees it that way. But God's desire is to pour out his spirit. And he said, even on male and female servants in that day. See, in that day... Joel certainly knew the moving of the Holy Spirit upon his life. In fact, the the word tells us that the scripture was written by holy men of old as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So it's only through the moving of the Holy Spirit that Joel or any other Bible writer wrote. They wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's our whole understanding of where the word of God came from. And uh, so he knew the movement of the Holy Spirit. He knew the presence of the Holy Spirit as God talk to him and talk through him. And so he was moved by that, but he would look forward to a day saying, one of these days God's spirit is going to be poured out on all flesh. Everybody can have access to the touch of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. Everyone is available and open to that. And he goes so far as to say, even male and female servants, there had never, there is, you look through the Old Testament, there is no reference at any time to a servant being a prophet or a female servant being a prophetess, you know. They were few and far between. And so he said, I see a day when even servants, even slaves will be filled with the Spirit and uh, used of God. So we'll pick up the rest of the story out of the book of Acts. Let's jump over there to Acts 2.14. This is where Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. I just want you to see the connection there. It says, Peter, standing up with the 11, the other disciples, lifted up his voice and he addressed the crowd that had gathered. Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Remember, the crowd had gathered round. They were speaking in other tongues. Their language made no sense. They were all gibberish. And so their first reaction was, well, they're a bunch of drunks. They were talking nonsense. And Peter says, no, that's not possible. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. It's too early to get drunk, you know. So these are not drunken people, as you suppose. And he says this, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So he specifically says that what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is the promise that Joel had promised in Joel chapter 2 at verse 28. He says, this is what Joel was talking about. And he goes on to quote Joel, uh, the remainder of the portion we've already read. But this is the New Testament translation. It says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. We were talking last week about the need for each and every one of us to prophesy, to speak to impossible situations and say, you will do this. In the name of the Lord, I see this changing. And that we give voice to the prophetic utterance that God puts in our hearts and lives. You see people every day whose lives are messed up and twisted and broken. And you know what they need. And you know what's holding them back. And you have the power and authority as a believer 
to speak to that issue and say, no longer will that drug hold them. No longer will that satisfy them. I break the chains that are binding them. I, I speak prophecy over them. I declare new things happening in their life. So he says, your young men shall see visions. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. and Your old men will dream dreams. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day the Lord comes. Great and magnificent day. It will come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Of course, in Joel's day, only Jews or those who converted to a Jewish faith and lifestyle could be saved. You had to become a Jew in order to be saved. And yet Joel prophesies here, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yes. Is that right, that they, they come to that understanding? Praise God. The Holy Spirit is available not only since the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he's available today to all those who call on the name of the Lord. God would desire his people to walk in a unit. Joel could only look forward to this. He could only see a day when everyone would experience what Joel himself was experiencing, the touch of God personally on his life, the, the voice of the Lord speaking personally to him that he could write things 2,800 years in advance without even understanding what he was writing, but the Spirit of God writing through him. And he said, one of these days the Holy Spirit will be available to all. I'm happy to declare to you this morning that the Holy Spirit is available to you, that the Holy Spirit uh, can infill you and walk with you. I know that when you came to know Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to walk with you. And we are a spirit-filled people and walk in the Spirit. But we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need that heavenly prayer language to be able to minister. I, I've shared many times that I will again briefly an experience that I had in, in uh, my heavenly prayer language in, in realizing that the Holy Spirit knows how to pray far beyond anything I can possibly understand. There was a crisis had to do with the church building and the, burn, the building burning down and all of that. And we met with the county commissioner and so forth, having great struggle there. But as I prayed in the Spirit, I heard the Holy Spirit start commanding demonic hosts around me, calling them by name and telling them they must not cross this line and they could not come through that door and they could not do this and they could not do that and that they must stay at that boundary, and that this line was drawn here and they couldn't cross that. And so as I'm praying, I'm hearing, as I'm speaking, I'm hearing what the Holy Spirit, I'm hearing an interpretation of that as he calls demonic hosts by names and sets them their limits and says, you cannot do this. And then he turned and he began to address angels and say, you are charged with, you will see that this happens. You will see that this is covered, and you'll take care of this, and your assignment is here, and your assignment is there, and you'll stop that over there, and you will fight against this. And so he set angelic heavenly hosts, demonic hosts, in order. And I have thought about that so many times since then, saying, 
I know that there are demons. And there have been times I felt their presence, you know, and I've been disturbed by that. But I, I really don't know them. I can't call them by name. All I know to do is say, get out of here in the name of Jesus, and they flee as God has given us authority over them. But I also know that there are angels ruling over us as well to minister to us. But I don't know their names either. And I don't know what their abilities and assignments are. But as I listened, I realized that the Holy Spirit knows that perfectly and could set demons boundaries and angels assignments. And I was like, wow, I need to pray in the Spirit all the time. I need to allow the Holy Spirit to set everything about me in its right order and in its proper place. Not just on this one special occasion when I had a great need, but every day. Wouldn't that be wonderful to call upon the Holy Spirit and have him orchestrate what goes on around you 24-7? Well, that's available as we speak and as we receive the Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and you have... come. Not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not spoken in other tongues. I'd love to pray for you. The Bible tells us that the gift of the Holy Spirit is given by the laying on of hands. We'd be happy to pray for you and pray with you and direct you in that direction, that you would learn to just open yourself to the Holy Spirit. I was saying earlier that uh, the greatest enemy that you and I have is our tongue. The Bible says it's, it's the most unruly member of the body. And so is it any wonder that God wants, the Holy Spirit wants to control your tongue? In fact, James went so far as to say, if a man can control his tongue, he's a perfect man. He's a perfect man. Well, if you'll yield your tongue to the Holy Spirit, you'll speak perfectly. Praise God. Praise God. Don't forget our Bible study tonight with John Bevere, Relentless at 6. But if you... I want to receive the Holy Spirit, come, and we'll pray with you as soon as we close. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, 2,800 years ago, Joel spoke as the Holy Spirit moved him, and that ministers to us today. To see, Lord, that while there may be destruction and chaos in the future, that gloom and doom seems to rule and reign, and we don't know what the answers are or how it could ever work out to become right again, yet we know our God that you're a God of grace, mercy, and forgiveness, and your heart and your desire is toward us to bless us, to encourage us, and to provide and protect us. And Lord, we also know that you're a God that wants to give good gifts that will help us in that uh, situation, the gift of the Holy Spirit to fill us and guide us on a daily basis. Lord, we receive your gifts today. We ask your blessing upon our lives. As we go from this place, we go out among a people that are just like Joel described, people who are terrified of the times in which they're living, have no idea which way to turn. But, Lord, you've given us that direction. Help us to share that, we ask, as we go, that we be able to share with them the love of Jesus Christ, that they could find the peace that we have in you. Go with us, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. No, we're doing OSL on Tuesday.
I seen Bruno Miller on the bus yesterday, and he was like, say something he started laughing. So I guess he wasn't trying to. What what is it? Your notarizing? Notarizing because I have to pin. I can go get my license as soon as I um, send in this notarized letter. She's saying, where's my mom? Look at it on the next page. It's saying June Miller owed all state. 